The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of season five of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart and I'm here once again with Neil Glover. Hello. Hello. And Elaine Duncan. Hello. Hello. Lovely to see and hear you both. Uh, now, we've had a bout of correspondence since we last met. That, I think is that the collective? You make it sound like an about, illness. Yes. yes. It's <laughs> been a bit of a bout of correspondence, but I'm feeling better now. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think because uh, the way things are landing, we're, we're starting to hear from people. So that's great. Thanks for that, everybody. Um, I would like to actually start with a shout out to somebody. So that's Isabel McDonald. Oh, yeah. Who I think Neil is known to you because she lives, yeah, she lives up the road, literally up the road at a thousand feet. Oh, brilliant. Well, Isabel was the first person to notice and let me know that episode two of the season was a bit low in volume. Well, it was very low, actually, in volume. And it was entirely my fault. So hands up to that, listeners. That was my fault. Thank you, Isabel, for having such a community-minded approach and getting in touch. The problem has been sorted. So if you have tried to listen to episode two and it's been tricky... Um, I would encourage you to go back because we've we've I've uploaded a new file, so that will be much uh, more easily heard now. And if there's still a problem with that, try downloading the episode again. Um, and thank you, Isabel, for letting us know about that. And that was a good example of someone taking responsibility for their actions, exactly. which is a theme we'll come to. Exactly, indeed. Nicely now, done. Also, exactly. I've also had some regular, no, not some regular correspondence. I've also had some correspondence from, from regular, regular correspondent, correspondent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Elizabeth. So she got in touch with a potted history of the brethren, Neil, for you after listening to you talking about that. Yeah. Now, Elizabeth, just to let you know, I have forwarded, forwarded your email to Neil. He's probably hasn't had much time to go through it because I just did that this I have read it. I said oh, it was have? very interesting. Oh, very yeah. good. Oh, well, that's excellent. Well, I read your you response as well, which I thought oh. was very good. Thanks for getting in touch, Elizabeth, and uh, keep up the keep up the correspondence. We like that. Now, Elaine, nobody's... <laughs> I just wanted to say keep up the good work. I did want to say that. I'm turning into a teacher. I know, I'm starting to sound a little bit like... You Which know, is a great thing. Public, yes, exactly. I'm starting to sound like a public service broadcaster. Now, Elaine, nobody, unfortunately, has been in touch to talk to us about the innovative use of digital technology, I'm afraid. That's okay. Well, I, I thought... Really, yeah, I can live with that. Can you, well, you see, I thought there were four. I'm not an interpreter of data, data, but I did think there were probably four reasons for that. One is nobody cares. <laughs> Second interpretation, nobody's listening. <laughs> Third, nobody has discovered any good innovative practices. Uh, or the fourth might be that nobody's had the courage to get in touch because they think their thing's not very interesting. I would say your thing probably is interesting. So please do get in touch with us. Rest assured, no question or comment is too trivial. The reassuring thing is that there are a number of people in Bible societies around the world who are giving thought to that very area. So, well, that's, that's good. They're just not listening to this, though. That's okay. What's the what's the what? Yes. Excites you most about what people are doing in on the digital side? Yeah. On the technical side, I think people are just always exploring new ways for us to actually share the Bible with people using digital means uh, and that's brilliant I mean the more people that engage with the Bible the better uh, I th and I think the other interesting part of digital and technology is the ethical side of it mm. and the probably less people who are getting excited about exploring what are our ethics that we bring you know to things like artificial intelligence and chat GPT and things like that um, but I'm glad that some people are thinking that through yeah. I think I think people are increasingly thinking about that 
I think a lot of people are having that conversation. I, I asked Chachi to GPT to write me a sermon last week. It was frighteningly good. Yeah. So if you have thoughts on that, artificial intelligence or indeed something as simple as an app that you're enjoying. I, I've noticed during Lent this year there are a lot more app activities you can engage with. So that's, you know, that's obviously an increase in people. Um, thinking creatively about how to how to communicate uh, then do get in touch with us as ever the address for correspondence is outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or of course via the SBS social media now today our heading is Jezreel a byword for horror and we'll be referring to three distinct passages so these are 1st Kings 21, 2nd Kings 9 verses 30 to 37 but we'll talk a little bit more generally about that chapter too and Hosea chapter 1 verses 1 to 5 so if you haven't had time to look at these or you would like to take the take a moment to do that before we go on now is the moment really to pause the podcast if you want to do that uh, but if you have a little bit more time you might want to do what I did in preparation and read through from the end of first kings into the first few chapters of second kings to give you some scope for the times that we're describing and actually to help you get a handle on the names of the different characters because there are lots of people whose names begin with j and a i found so it's quite confusing that's a digital thing i'd like to suggest i'd like a digital you know what i'd like i'd like a digital bible where you could hyperlink or put a color onto the name of somebody so that you can trace that person's character ah that's a good idea yep oh that would be yeah because i was trying to look up where a jezreel come from which you can do no i was about to say fiona you do a really interesting thing a good thing when you send us out the bible reading for um, the week, you always give us a link that uh, condenses or puts them all together in one place. So you just click it up and it all just does it all together. So, yeah, I wonder if you can put that in the show notes. I mean, I think you'll find, Neil, I've been doing that for four years in the show notes. Have you? <laughs> yes, yes, I have. <laughs> I, guess, I guess Neil just doesn't read the show notes. <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, now's the time hey, to pause. <laughs> Now's the time to pause it. If you want the hyperlink, go back to the show notes from last time and you'll find that they're there for this week's episode. Uh, hopefully, though, if you don't have time to do that, the discussion will whet your appetite to go and look at that later. Right, I've got Elaine. a new section to add in, which is just me going, um, hey, Fiona, I love the way you put that in the show notes. <laughs> Glover's gaffes. Um, okay, I've got a starter for question for you because I was doing some reading around and I was enjoying the fact that Jehu, or Yehu, mm -hmm. or however you pronounce him, um, is described as driving like a maniac when he gets yeah. into his chariot. That is in chapter 9 of Second Kings. So my starter question is, what's your driving like? Oh, I'm a lovely driver. Are except, <laughs> well, I mean, most of us think that about ourselves, don't we? Um, but one of my friends who I travel with fairly frequently um, does refer sometimes to my driving, which I think must be a quote from a film or something. She drove like a guinea pig possessed. <laughs> and there's usually a guinea pig noise that goes along with it. Wow. So obviously my driving's not as perfect as I think it is. We're all just thinking about possessed guinea pigs. Yeah, now. why Why a guinea pig possessed? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a, it must be a quote from something I just can't remember, remember where. But it's it stuck uh, over several years now. That's, you know, take a take a bend too, too fast and you're, your passengers get swung around a little bit. She drove like a guinea pig possessed. <laughs> Neil, what about you? Are you a good driver? Um, yeah, I'm currently looking up on Google to see if there's a guinea pig uh, possessed quote. I can't find it. Um, I don't know. I think I'm okay. Um, I do tend to go quite fast, particularly when I'm 
driving between churches and services on a Sunday morning, always within the speed limit. And I suppose because I know the road quite well. Um, I love it. I always love it when there's a group of us who are kind of local driving the same stretch together and you're not overtaking, but everybody's going at a, a reasonably smooth speed and not braking at every corner. Yeah. Rural drivers always get really cross with city drivers, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I'm always fine if you, if you put, if you let people pass uh-huh. and I, if there's someone really fast behind me, I, I always let them pass and you can see the kind of look of shock. Yeah. <laughs> I, great roads around here. Yeah, but yeah, beautiful driving. Mm. I think my driving is definitely impacted by wherever I am and by my culture. So because I live in, I, I think I honestly think when I drive since I've been back living in Glasgow, my driving has become more aggressive, right? Faster. I, I I'm a lot less tolerant of other people and probably use my horn more than I used yeah. to. Most of common, most yeah, I find that when I moved from Belfast to Glasgow. I found the same. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the folks in Belfast, they're, they're great. If you turn, if you need to turn right, they always let you in. Interesting. It's all the Christians. Interesting, isn't it? I don't know if it is. The other thing I find, I don't know if you find this, when I go to see, a, like if I go and watch a James Bond film, for example, I drive home like a lunatic. Oh, do you? Mm. <laughs> That's an influence on do, me. do you ever find that the speed of your driving relates to the music that you're listening oh, to yes. as well? Yes. It's kind yes. of slightly worrying, isn't it? That's what, why if you're what? listening to poetry, please, people are annoyed behind you. Oh, yeah. What do you listen to that makes you drive faster, Elaine? It just depends what's on. I quite often have the radio on. Oh, yeah. So, and, and, but, you know, I mean, it's like if you're out running. If, you, if you're listening to music that's a wee bit more up-tempo, you tend to run faster. Yeah. 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 I had a friend at drama school who did her whole master's dissertation on that, on how music impacts your performance. I can't remember much about it, except that it was interesting to watch her thing. It would have been funny if she'd got to the end of it and gone, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make any difference at all. It was, all, <laughs> was, it was wider than that, actually. It was also, you know, if you looked at a piece of art, if that would influence. It was just, it was good. It was interesting. Anyhow, thank you for that. And if anyone is interested, we reckon that uh, Yehu, Jehu, he had a reputation. It for Spanish being, or Portuguese. Jehu had a bit of a reputation for being a bit of a boy racer, I think, in his chariot. And there's a later point where somebody else is getting into the chariot. And I wanted to shout, don't do it. Don't get in the chariot with him. Drives like a man. It drives like a maniac. Um, good. Well, last time we spoke about Mount Horeb and the encounter with the Lord, and this episode sees us down in the valley talking about Jezreel. Now, Neil, you are our guide to the way we were constructing these six episodes. So I wondered, would you start us off really just by telling us why you've chosen these particular three passages and what you want us to have in mind as we approach them? They were chosen firstly because they show the after career of Elijah after Horeb. So there's a, a bit of a collapse in Elijah after Horeb, and we've noted as well that he didn't do all the things that God asked him to do. But he still became, he was still active, and we're about to see him reappear in the story here, in the story of Naboth's vineyard. And then I suppose I was keen that we followed up the aftermath of that story. So what happens to Jezebel in that Second Kings 9? And then a little comment that comes from Hosea, that asks a question about the whole thing and how we understand God. And, you know, I probably am increasingly thinking, I think Hosea is my favourite prophet. Uh, I love him. And he, he is the one who time and again asks us to understand who God is. And I don't think it's any accident that Jesus loved Hosea as well. 
so yeah, we're, we're going to end in the company of Hosea. I mean, maybe that's a future discussion, the book of Hosea. Mm. Mm. For people who follow the Scripture Union uh, daily readings, we've just come to the end of going through Hosea. Oh, did you? Um, would you say it was one of your favourite prophets or are you not selective? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. No, I mean, I really do like the the, the book of Hosea. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd, yeah, I, I'm a wee bit like Jen, you know, that, that whole business of favourite Mm. books are favorite verses yeah yeah definitely ones that you warm to maybe more or just find it slightly easier to understand mm. so yeah yeah i like hosea okay well i would like to have a conversation with it about it at some point because there are yeah lots of lots of things to talk about in there but let's let's think initially then about first kings 21 so that's the account of naboth and his vineyard uh, and it's following on not long after uh, as as you said, Neil, um, what we've read already about Elijah, uh, his his vineyard is in Jezreel. I re- I refer to it as a valley. That's because I checked it. Oh on right, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's right next door to the palace, isn't it? That's the point. Uh, and Ahab wants to extend his ground, veg patch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Get he rid wants of the to, vineyard and yeah. put a veg patch in it. Mm-hmm. But it's fertile land, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But it's Naboth's land. It's has it's has it's his ancestral land, and I think that seems to be the biggest problem here for Naboth. That no matter how much money you give him, I'm not going to give up my ancestral lands here. And it's interesting that he draws out that you know his his challenge to Ahab is that actually he's not. Ahab is not at liberty to ask him to sell it. Mm. Mm. This is actually going against God's law. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, the ancestral land was to be kept within the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would only give it up if it was if there was a debt, I think, and and then it had to come back in the jubilee year. So yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you wonder whether that's partly why Ahab, you know, slinks away. Uh-huh from this conversation and goes into his sulk because actually his conscience is Ahab Mm -hmm. capable of having his conscience tweaked oh I think he is I think anyone is surely that's that's controversial we talk about that later if you like we can have another happy valley uh, spoiler because um, in the last podcast that dropped Elaine referred to the end of happy valley and of course I've since watched it now and that's one of the big questions I'm not going to. It's all right. I can see you getting anxious. It's fine. It's not going to happen. Um, But one of the big questions is, does everybody have a conscience? Mm -hmm. Or is there someone who is just evil? And I would very much go to the question that you think you were going to, Elaine, that I think Ahab does have a conscience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so he he looks out, he sees this lovely piece of vineyard land and wants to put his vegetable patch into it. He goes against what he knows to be Mm -hmm. the legal way of doing things and Naboth takes a stance. Yep. So is there something of the the, the rectitude, I suppose, of of a a stubborn, honest person taking a stance against the prevailing voice? And the the tragedy of it is that's going to cost him his life. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that, but that resilience is quite incredible, isn't it? 
particularly, you know, Naboth lives next door to the palace. He would he would know the kind of things that Ahab gets up to. He would know something of the way that as king he has led the people away from God rather than encouraging their faithfulness and obedience to God. You know, so to stand up to Ahab at, at this point, it does show a lot of resilience and courage, doesn't it? It, it reminds me of some of my colleagues in Ukraine at the moment, um, where the amount of resilience that, that really the Ukrainians as a nation, but, but our colleagues in the Bible Society there who are just keeping on working and, and responding to the needs for Bibles in a situation that has just got so many challenges mm-hmm. in it. So that means the link with the resilience, not not the equating particularly to Ahab, but it's the resilience piece, isn't it? Yeah, I I once similar to that. I once listened to a podcast about Pablo Escobar, who was one of the huge Colombian uh, drugs warlords, and. What had happened was the the United States were wanting to fight the war on drugs, so they sent lots of CIA officers and FBI officers to go and support the Colombian police force. And they initially, I think a lot of them went and thought, this Colombian police force, they're all being bought off, they're all being, uh, they're corrupt, and it's our job as the FBI, CIA, to kind of give them a backbone and to, to make them stand up. And instead what happened was the FBI and CIA landed, started working with the Colombian police force and were in awe of the way that these police officers, many of them lost their lives in order to stand up to these drug lords. And they were asking the question, where is this coming from? And you couldn't escape the fact that many of them were, well, they were Catholics, they were Christians, and it was deeply rooted in them that this is what they should do. And they, they, you know, there were people like Naboth who lost their lives because they stood up for, for what was right. And I think what really bowled over the CIA, FBI folks was just the number of police officers who were prepared to do that. And it, it came from their faith. just reminds me that there, there are some church um, groupings, denominations around the world where actually martyrdom is regarded as a huge honour. Mm. So, and that, that does pick up with themes in the New Testament, doesn't it? That that Christians who are under pressure, experiencing persecution and and may be killed, but actually their families regard that as hugely honourable. Um, and I think that's such a contrast to often how we think about suffering and death. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, I was interested as you were saying that too, Elaine, that, that it's, you chose that honour, it's an honouring thing, because I think the, the other way that can go, you know, and how we think of the word martyr when we hear it in our contemporary culture is often a, a, a violent response. Mm-hmm that I will, I will act as a martyr and I'll take other people with me in a cause. But, but mm-hmm. that's not what I'm hearing you describe there. No. It's something no. that's more about you know, you know, to have stood and, 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 and resisted, I suppose, or have mm-hmm. stood for what's right and, and have paid with that. Yeah, and, and, and stood up for, yes, what you know to be right, stood up for who you believe in. 
you know, so 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 actually sit, continuing to say, I will still follow and worship Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think of uh, Shabbat Bharti, I think that's his name, who was the Pakistani uh, minister for minorities, who I think it was six or seven years ago, his life was under threat and he recorded a message to the BBC which was to be played in the event of his death and tragically six months later it was played when he was killed by gunmen and he simply said I know what is the way of cross mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah enormous and such a contrast when we see it here isn't it to, to as you mentioned Elaine before uh, Ahab's very self-centred leadership mm. style isn't it I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm not getting what I want so I'm going to go in sulk and not eat for a while yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet the irony is that Naboth is killed by people saying that he has cursed God when he's done exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. But I think Ahab's response at this point, you know, I mean, we're all capable of being sulky and sullen and angry. But, you know, here is a king. And, you know, the chapters we've read, we 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 know that, you know, we we've probably lost any respect really we we might have ever had for Ahab because of the way that he behaves, but here is you know it's like a primary school child. Mm. Yes. Um, you know, some of us might still be prone to sulky uh, episodes, but we we can probably manage to hide it, <laughs> whereas Ahab doesn't even do that. You know, and um, it's I mean it's just appalling really. Just because he can't get what he wants. Uh, yes. Do you think if yeah. somebody's maybe been brought up as an heir to the throne, maybe it's possible that they were they were always indulged and therefore they, he's used to getting that? Maybe. Yeah. And then his wife comes up with an interesting approach to what she thinks leadership is really all about. And and would this be a, a moment to have a conversation about Jezebel? Yeah, you, so, you're slightly in the Jezebel. I'm Are not in the, in the Jezebel camp. No, I'm no, not you're in the not. Jezebel camp. But I was. I actually was listening to these chapters in preparation because mm-hmm. I was driving, and so I was listening in the car. And I, it, it made my. When you listen, I think sometimes it makes your your thoughts spin off mm-hmm. in, in ways that you maybe don't half when you read from the page and and I was reflecting on the fact that we used the we used word Jezebel in in common parlance or or tradition or historically it would have been used in common parlance but to describe a particular type of woman and it was sparking off a whole lot of thought for me about about misogyny about the fact that it's all put on her the fact that we don't talk about people as being an Ahab now maybe maybe that's because he repents and we'll come back to that in a minute I don't think that's the reason (laughs) but I don't think that's the reason (laughs) Now, she's no. clearly a horror as far as she's reported to us. Yeah. Okay, so we, we need to jump ahead a wee bit here, don't we? So I, I'm sympathetic to this. You know, that's a really good point, you say. Why does nobody say, oh, yeah, Ahab, you? Well, Ahab does reappear in Moby Dick, of course. Oh, yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, no, she's she's blamed. And, and yet it seems to be that when God speaks to Elijah, God's biggest complaint is against Ahab. He should have been had the strong moral will to do this. So I think we might look at this passage in our own eyes and say Jezebel's a problem because she's the instigator and Ahab's an accomplice. It seems that God is most annoyed at Ahab 
because I think to pick up a point you've made, Elaine, he's the king. It's expected of him that he shows moral rectitude pretty much like Naboth does. Mm -hmm. And actually, I mean, neither of them are characters that one would want to emulate. <laughs> Don't get them in those, you know, heroic leaders of the Bible. <laughs> you know, and, and there's a sense in which their character flaws, if we can call them that, they're, they're very different, but but they both carry responsibility for for some pretty horrific actions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah. she is singled out, isn't she? Yeah, she's she's singled out by Elijah, who adds. So God asks him to go and curse, and then Elijah adds the Jezebel bit. And there's no. It does feel that Yehu is the one, and it's definitely in our culture that we singled out Jezebel. Yeah, Jezebel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I mean that that's true, and it I mean I think that's interesting just to see how some of these kind of you know female characters do get kind of used in in cultures down the line, but but to be fair, Jezebel is all she's also singled out because it describes the awful thing that she did. Mm. Yes. I, and again, I'm not looking to her defence, but some of the men in these in these chapters did some pretty awful things too. Uh huh. <laughs> and but I think that's what I find so good about the Bible that it it you know men and women both mess it up. And 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 both men and women are held accountable and responsible for that. Yeah. Yes, yes. Am I, am I missing your point, Fiona? No, you're not missing my point, but I, I think, well, so, are you missing my point? I think you're making it quite a neat answer. I mean, my, my reflection on what you just said is, I, I think in New Testament terms, I think that's what makes Jesus strikingly different in his mm -hmm. culture, in that he he is the one who's, who seeks out the, the company of tax collectors and prostitutes. He's the one who raises Mary to say, come and sit at my feet and, and listen, you've, you've made the right choice. He's the one who appears in the resurrection to the women. So I, I think Hosea would be with you, Fiona, because if we can jump right ahead to Hosea, mm -hmm. of all the atrocities that Hosea, or of course Hosea has, has been spoken to by God here, but of all the atrocities that Hosea could have gone to, Jezreel is kind of the least likely because, okay, the Naboth massacre at Jezreel is a horror, but most people would have said, oh, but what Jehu did afterwards, well, that's fine. You know, she had it coming or something like that. Uh -huh. But Hosea specifically focuses on what Jehu did at Jezreel and yes. says that's the atrocity. We're going to come to that later, but it seems to be it's the perpetuation of violence. Now, that was not a very popular, I don't think, atrocity to condemn because Jezebel was, she's kind of an easy target. Mm -hmm. And yet Jehu, Hosea, in the context, by the way, of honouring a woman, uh, mm -hmm. because it's to do with his mm -hmm. relationship with his wife, um, specifically condemns that part of the story. And therefore, in condemning the, the killing of Jezebel, I think he is siding with you, Fiona, and saying, do not be so quick to massacre Jezebel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> So we we're just laughing, not because we think there's there's a oh I need to watch that there's a podcast which I love, um, 
but which they too often get carried away with how brilliant they sometimes are. And the worst example of it was recently where they had a description, of, I mean, it was horrific, of the Holocaust. And somebody had described the Holocaust. And at the end, the presenter just went, brilliant. <laughs> I went, no. <laughs> Yeah, you know, really not. No, no horrific. Really not. No, horrific. Yeah, really and, not. and I guess that's what I'm, I'm trying to maintain is that in in our discussions mm. about about how Jezebel is treated, that we don't lose sight of the horror of what she yeah. did. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And absolutely. I know that you're not. I know that you're not saying not saying that. And be, because you know, I think a theme that we haven't picked up yet in in this is is the issue of justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so so Naboth has been treated. I mean, even in the question that Ahab asks him, that's when the injustice starts because mm-hmm. Ahab should never have asked that question. Mm. Um, and then you get Jezebel essentially succumbing to her husband's sulks and saying, "I'll get you what you want," yeah. and doing that in the most horrific way. Yes, yes. Um, and and you're right, Neil, that that it's Ahab who is being held accountable by God for that. But but for sure they're in cahoots about it. Mm. Yeah. Um and and I think that that sense of God seeing what goes on, and, and that's that's a strong biblical theme, is it that God sees mm-hmm. and and you know, whatever we're plotting in in our minds and and then carrying out, nothing can be hidden from God. Um, and and so th- there is a lot in this about God being just, and and that and that justice really matters. And and maybe that's where I'm I'm getting to with asking the question around the Jezebel question because I think I I, I do have a level of curiosity about how she becomes a trope mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and in becoming a trope in Lady Macbeth in you know Amelda Marcos with the shoes whoever it is by setting her up as a trope in it within uh the, you know 2000 years of history what we do is we 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 water down and negate what you've just said which is the the, the equal responsibility they have because God sees yeah <laughs> maybe there's another, I don't want to make this too neat. I agree with you, Fiona. Mm-hmm. I think you're right uh, because it, it it becomes too easy to 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 blame Jezza to to say, well, it's just her. And actually, I think what this story also makes us look at is Ahab and Jezebel seem to be operating to a law that says the powerful should get what they want. Mm-hmm. The king, you know, mm-hmm. Jezebel's appalled on Ahab's behalf that. He's the king. You you should yes. you should be able to get that what you want. And Torah law, God's law, is is based on a completely different set of principles, which is mm-hmm. fairness, um, which is the the lands stay within the family, and and if even they go outside the family, they come back in on the jubilee, and it's it's an economic law which is based on on justice for all, and everybody mm-hmm. has the chance. And, and it's about protection, isn't it? Yeah. It's about protection of the yes. the weak, and and that's what was the expectation mm-hmm. of of the king that he would uphold that, that. Yeah, yeah and protect the, the vulnerable and the weak yeah. and and this is just so opposed to that 
Yeah. And, we and, and sadly, of... you know, I mean, you talked before about, about persecution, Elaine, and about, about martyrdom, but sadly that, that is something we see mm-hmm. replicated across the world, don't we? So, so I, I do quite a lot of, well, I'm, I'm really interested in the work of International Justice Mission. And one of the things they are very, very big on is, is helping countries redress their 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 just the inequalities of their justice system because so often we in i think sitting in the uk have a very um a view that the justice system is a neutral thing and it's you know it's there to to defend the rights of the poor and to defend and but globally that is not true in so many places and actually we bear a lot of responsibility for how we have um set up justice systems in other parts of the world in order to not protect the rights uh, yeah, but, it's about power. But Fiona, I would go further and say it does apply here. So mm-hmm. I think this this is a question. This is a passage that makes us ask question about: Do you live in a society where the powerful think they can do what they want? Yeah. So some big questions that makes us ask, which are uncomfortable questions. Uh, you talked about our justice system. The access to legal help for people who are poor now has been cut and cut and cut, and and people who are wealthier, have access to legal power that others don't. There's a famous book about land rights in Scotland called The Poor Had No Lawyers. The the other question that makes you ask is, our focus perpetually on benefit fraud, which is about the poor, most people, when you ask, there's been surveys done on this, what's the level of benefit fraud? Most people guess about 25%. The actual number is closer to 2%. Whereas tax evasion, which is seen as somehow being morally okay, we're far less, look at our papers, they're, they're far less cruel on that. And at the moment, in our facing up to COVID, we have to ask the question, were people who had money able to profit from this? And were the poorest people um, sometimes cast aside and their interests cast aside? And all those questions appear in this passage here, which is, do you operate to Torah law, which is based on justice and fairness, or do you operate to the law that was at work with Ahab and Jezebel here, which is mm. the powerful can get what they want and get more. And if the poor people stand in their way, or then those people are to be eliminated by whatever means necessary. In this case, waging an information war, a propaganda campaign against them to discredit them, and then they get killed. Mm. And these these things, like like so often when we approach these kind of issues, they, you know, they, they have systemic, mm. they raise systemic questions, but they also raise very personal questions. Mm-hmm. about how we, as individuals, are, are we prepared to be Naboths? And then poor old Elijah gets <laughs> thrown in again. Yeah. Why do you say poor, Elaine? I'm interested. Uh, he just, he, I, I suppose because it's another example of him having to stand up to authority yeah. that that he's been misused and and to do that with people who are actually quite violent Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it does take courage yeah i'm trying to think of that there was a famous ugandan archbishop who stood up to idi amin and was eventually killed for it i can't remember his name he's really well known um but he i when you talk about him i kind of think of him who again and again had to keep going to Idi Amin and and say you cannot do what you're what you're trying to do here and eventually he lost his life. And it, and it is the role of the prophet often, isn't mm-hmm. it? Think about Nathan the prophet with David too, and 
the, the role of the prophet to stand up and, and and be true to what what God is saying in the face of of um, violence and oppression. Yeah. Um. Can we just before we move on to the 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 next uh, section? Can we just talk about the repentance? Just sorry. Just before we go on, I think I'd like to say his name. So the the Archbishop was called Janani Luwam, and his name deserves to be remembered. Janani Luwam was killed for standing up to Idi Amin. So Ahab and his repentance. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think what I was reflecting on when I was reading it is that God's patience. You know, I mean, God accepts Ahab's repentance, whereas. If I'm honest, I kind of read it and I thought, oh, he's just at it. I thought that. <laughs> <laughs> it was like I was just in a sort of soap opera as I was reading. Yeah. Oh, no, I yeah. got that wrong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then God accepts it. And you just think, do you know, God's mercy and God's grace and God's patience is so much greater than anything I can muster up. Yeah. It's it's quite challenging, isn't it? Because it, we would be far more sceptical with that repentance. Yeah. I had a look at um, one of the books must have sent me to this, to Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 23. And that through Ezekiel, the Lord is saying, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, mm -hmm. declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Yeah. And I just thought that was a lovely expression right again in the heart of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, because there are still people who think that God kind of changes his character between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But but there is just that that mercy, that patience, and the fact that God does not take any pleasure. Mm. No. In... Uh, it just once again, reminder, I'm just very glad God's not like me. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? That's a really good way to put it. <laughs> like, it's not like me. I'm not uh -huh. mean it's not like you. <laughs> yeah, no. It's all right, you can say it. You can say it. It's fine. Yeah. Do you know, it, it, because it is, it's that, it's that, I mean, it's the thing that brings you to worship, isn't it? Of, oh, you are so much more, mm -hmm. so much what, greater. What's the verse, my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord? What's that? Oh, yes. That's in Isaiah, Isaiah 55. isn't it? Yeah. But it's interesting because those verses, Neil, my ways are not your ways, come straight after, in that chapter, God talking about mercy. Mm. 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 And and it, it makes me wonder whether actually, you know, one interpretation is that my level of mercy is not like your level of mercy. Yeah. And it, it takes us to it it takes us to the conversation we had about Hosea, which Jesus quotes, you know, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's mm -hmm. the way I'm going to live here. And it, it also reminds me of the Ninevites repenting and Jonah going, Oh, come on, you're not gonna let them off with that kind of thing. And and God does. God always Yeah. Jesus spotted that as well, didn't he? He always saw that people could change. Yes, yes. Okay, so I'd like to move us on to, to 2 Kings 9. Yep. 
So we're jumping always obviously forward in the, the chronological narrative, but we are reaching this point where we reach the end of Jezebel. Um, uh, Jezreel again is mentioned in, in this point. It, just before this, there is this sort of anointing anointing of Jehu, Jehu, uh, which I kind of wrote down, it's an anointing on the run. I thought it was quite comical. He's the, the, the Elisha sends his prophet and tells him, right, go in, do the business, get out fast. Yeah, And it's at last we're doing the anointing that God had asked for in 1 Kings 19. So Elijah should have done this. Elijah didn't. Mm-hmm. Maybe Elisha should have done it. He doesn't. Eventually he gets one of the prophets to do gets it. One of, gets one of the trainees. Subcontracts it out. <laughs> Anyhow, so yes. Yeah, so sorry, if that's not too irreverent. Um, and it, that's where I think it is worth reading Rell around about this stuff because you, you kind of yeah, you pick up the threads of that. Uh, but we, we then have uh, Jehu coming to coming to Jezreel and Jezebel hearing about it, putting on her eye makeup. Interesting. Sorting out her hair and then looking out the window. So she has a kind of defiance to her, doesn't she? She does, doesn't she? She's putting on her, her armour. I think there's a there's a an ending in Ozark where someone who's a key character just stares it in the face defiantly. And you in that particular case you love the character for it. I'm not sure. Yeah, it collapses very quickly with Jezebel, doesn't it? You know, she calls out curses and all Jehu says is, who's on my side? And suddenly two of her eunuchs, her kind of retainers, probably, maybe they're fed up of her. Maybe they've had enough. Well, I know I wondered that. I wondered if, yeah. Doesn't take much, does it, to get them to fling it no, over the hatch? No. Uh-huh. He's pushing at an open door there, isn't he? The, the text is quite careful about trying to manage what did, did God actually say and what do people think God is saying? So going right back, God had explicitly told Elijah, go and pronounce a curse against Ahab. Elijah then adds to that and says, oh, also Jezebel, you're cursed. Now, we don't know if God said that or not. It feels that Elijah's adding his own bit on, potentially because he wants the blame to be shared or maybe even he's got a Jezebel baggage. So he adds that in and then then that curse eventually comes to fruition and Jezebel is killed. Now, the text at that point could say, this happened according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah, but it doesn't. Instead, it puts those words in the mouth of Jehu, which gives them a, a, an element of remove. Jehu's words aren't quite as authoritative as the, as a, as a narrator. And therefore, we're left asking the question still, well, did God say that? Or is that just Jehu thinking that God said that? And that question is going to carry on in a minute when we get to Hosea, because I think Hosea might answer that question uh, slightly interestingly. Mm. It raises really interesting questions, doesn't it? That are really a constant question in our discipleship when, you know, about how, how sure are we that God is saying a particular thing or asking a particular thing of us and and again sometimes depending on their our church backgrounds that some people can speak very confidently oh god has told me to mm-hmm. and then others really shy away from that and and, and almost wouldn't presume to be able to say that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and i think sometimes there's this things within our Christian communities where we need to help one another discern what the Lord is saying. So for sure we come to the Bible, but actually that's where, you know, this kind of conversation and people having other 
conversations, sharing their thoughts, sharing the Bible, just it's really helpful um, process of of discerning so that we can be careful and as sure as possible that that yes i i believe that this is what god is asking me to do mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i don't know if this is just because i'm i'm older but you know i used to think a lot about you know you kind of match up what scripture saying what are other people mm-hmm. saying what am i hearing when i'm praying do you know I, th- I i don't hear that talked about so much now maybe maybe it's the circles i'm moving in maybe it's an mm. age thing. i don't know i'd be interested in what you think about that yeah and it doesn't always totally match you no. know that um sometimes jesus said that people were just they were reading the scriptures but they weren't finding him in there uh-huh. yes. what's really challenging and i agree with you elaine is that we need to think when somebody says god's saying this is god actually saying this the person that you have to question here is potentially Elijah. And you're like, oh, I wouldn't like to go up to Elijah and say, um, Elijah, I I get the Ahab bit, but I'm not so sure about the Jezebel bit. That, w- that wouldn't be an easy conversation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it wouldn't be an easy conversation. But, 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 it, but again, it shows the, it just shows the humanity of, even of the prophets, and and it, and that I think always shows up the wonder of the fact that God works through flawed human mm. beings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and it's another sign of His graciousness and His mercy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and an in- encouragement to read Scripture carefully, mm-hmm. you know, so. It, it, all scriptures God breathed, but it doesn't mean you just literally read what's on the page. I mean, we, we talk about this a lot on this, don't we? About taking the time to think who's saying this when and yeah. where have they heard that? And you know, yeah. And how does it connect with other bits of the scripture which move into tension? You know, yeah. to, mm-hmm. Hosea is rapidly becoming the hero. I think of this podcast hour, <laughs> but his mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus brings that into tension with some of the Sabbath laws. Yeah, and and yeah. he says that the priority is mercy. Yeah, yeah. We're going to move on to Hosea. Uh, just one thing to say is that Jezebel, uh, it's brutal, isn't it? But Jezebel is no longer seen. And mm-hmm. where I was just, it, it made me think about um, uh, Bin Laden actually, yeah. and the the choice to to bury him at sea so that there was no physical place people could. It, it's find. also what the narrative seems to demand. Oh, this mm-hmm. is really interesting. So. The, as as we often know, very often how so a, a big baddie gets killed in a movie is very often they get thrown off a building and you get that shot of them falling down, whoa, and then they land on the road or something like that. And we know that the baddie has gone. And it's that demand that the narrat- we sometimes have in the narrative to make sure that the, the baddie is properly extinguished and we see them dead, dead, dead. And that's what happens here. Jezebel gets thrown off a building. Hero of yours, Frank Cottrell Boyce, he talks about how narrative often demands that that resolution, doesn't it? And he says forgiveness goes against that. And and, in an interview you once pointed me towards, he said, forgiveness makes bad films. He said, I once wrote a a film about forgiveness, and it wasn't a very good film. And it's quite hard to to write it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, But Uh but to forgive... Um, is is really hard and and well 
I hope this is not a plot spoiler, but watch Happy Valley. <laughs> Good. Okay, let's move on to Hosea. Uh, we we jump forward to, to this, but we find ourselves back in this same place. The Valley of Jezreel is mentioned here. Why? <laughs> so is the massacre at Jezreel the same as what we've just read about Jezebel getting killed there? Or is there a different massacre? And I think it's the same one. I think it's what, and is it not what follows as well? When you read into chapter 10? Yeah. Or because of Ahab's family being killed. Yeah, and because Jehu is also mentioned. So it's not mm-hmm. the it's not the Naboth killing, it's the revenge on Jezebel that's been condemned here. Yeah. Yeah. But we're back in that land. We're back in that thing of there's there's justice for the land, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That, you know, we we talked earlier about God sees. And actually God doesn't forget, no. you know, so, so there are threads of justice. Because I think when, when we've been wronged, we want to see justice immediately. Yes. Don't we? And and you feel for, for people, you know, who's maybe a relative's been murdered and, and the court case can take years and and you know, the agony that a family can go through in that waiting. Um, and and sometimes as Christians, w- what we're encouraged here is that, you know, God sees and God doesn't forget and justice will come. Yes. But sometimes it's a long time in the coming. Yes, it's the Martin Luther King quote, isn't it? That the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. Mm-hmm. But, but sometimes it's long. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. There's a shock though in this because what, Hazia seems to be demanding is justice for the perpetrator, which is, as someone that has studied law, Fiona, you've often talked about the need for due process. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus does another thing, which Jesus demands that victims repent. And mm-hmm. it's those two very paradoxical things that actually serve the greater demand of justice. How do you treat the perpetrators? Do you give them justice also, as well as the victims? And also victims have to be called to repentance. Now, that's shocking. But what I think is only the victim has the key to reverse the cycle of violence. And it's through the victim finding a way through this that the whole kind of charging mess of eye for eye, tooth for tooth can be stopped. And I think ultimately maybe what's going on in the book of Hosea is he's he himself in moving to the place of difficulty and of pain and of loss is ending that cycle. Mm-hmm. And without wanting to prolong things, I think that might be a good place to stop mm-hmm. for today um, with, with that thought lingering there that for mm-hmm. Naboth, there was justice yeah. because the cycle was broken in that, in that point. And ultimately yeah. in Jesus, the cycle really is broken. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah it takes us to that place. Uh, can we, Can you give me... A, a, a one sentence takeaway that you're going to go and think about on the back of this, Elaine. I want to pick up just on that last thought, actually, because in our own personal circumstances, we often have the opportunity to break the cycle mm. of of unforgiveness or of anger or or whatever. We can break the cycle. But it takes courage to do it. So I want to think more about that. Cool. Thank you. Neil? 
and I would be similar and, and just looking slightly ahead to the way that Jesus breaks the cycle and that the cross is the moment where God breaks the cycle of scapegoating, the cycle of violence and, and moves through God's justice. So holds justice, which has been something that we've spoken about a lot today, holds justice, but also allows mercy to happen as well. The, the, the cross is the moment where all those things can come together. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Well, mine is very practical. I'm going to go in and read the book of Hosea because it's a long time since I've done mm. that, actually. So you've encouraged me, both of you, to go and do that. Thank you very much to both of you. And Eileen, you're going to have to duck out of our recording here. So we'll say bye-bye to you and thank you uh, again. And we will hear from you next time. Well, uh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Very welcome. Neil is going to stay on the call and he is. He and I are going to chat a little bit about the uh, Glover's Others. Yeah, we're going to do So you're missing that, Elaine. You'll need to listen to that Who's the most back, important you? person you're going to see in the next week, Elaine? That's, that's oh, a loaded question because they're all us. important. Apart from us, Elaine. Yeah. They're all important. And I'm glad I've seen you two today. And uh, I shall look forward to listening to what ends up going out on the podcast and then I can hear Glover's Others. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank Bye. you, Elaine. Good, to see, good Elaine. to see you. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Bye. Okay, so Elaine's gone. Bye, Elaine. I know. Glover's Others. Neil, can you remind us of who we have encountered? Before? Bill Ha, who mm-hmm. was the concubine of um, Rachel, wasn't she? And then we had Jethro and then we had... Uh, Aaron, and this week it's Balaam. Whoa, whoa, there! We've not had the theme tune yet. What I was also going to say before we play the theme tune is that listeners, we are looking for you to see if you can spot the significance of the order of these characters. You can, of course, contact us at outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org if you think you have found it. I was going to suggest that there might be a prize, and yeah. then I was going to ask Elaine if she could offer a no, prize. No, but there has she, to be a prize. We have to find a she's prize. She's disappeared off before she's had to put her hand in her pocket, I see. Uh, but yeah, I think we should have a prize for that. So You could get, you get a drive with Elaine Duncan listening to the music of your choice that'd be an excellent prize yeah. <laughs> so listeners message in let us know car ride with elaine what the significance <laughs> and you can win a car oh, no. ride with elaine the listener could request that elaine drive in the style of the biblical character of their choice oh that would be good so you could sit down and say, i'd like you to drive like a because he drives like a maniac um however it's time for character number four Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's Others. B-list characters you really don't want to miss. Who's your B-roll character this time? Balaam. Balaam, who... You surprised me. The hired hand who's brought in to curse Israel and famously his donkey speaks to him. And I think Balaam... He never, he never gets it, even though he, he actually, God speaks through him and he encounters God. It's almost like it costs him too much to do what God's asking him to do. It's going to cost him profit. It's going to cost him status. It's going to cost him his role. And I suppose, ultimately, actually, it's quite sad. He dies at the end of Nehemiah 31. So I would say, listen to the donkeys. Listen to all the parts of creation that are speaking to you. Listen to the word of God that's speaking to you. And do what you need to do, even if it costs you. Very good. Very good. A glove or other. If you've spotted the significance of the order, then let us know. And uh, you might even win a drive with Elaine Duncan. 
thank you Thanks, for joining brother. me, Neil. <laughs> It's, this really is feeling weird, like the end, doesn't it? This is, well, it's yeah. feeling like the end of a party where people have left and there's just, just the, two or three people the two left. people, yeah. Yeah, it's just the two. Yeah, exactly. But thank you, listeners, though, for joining us. Um, next time we join Elisha at the start of his ministry and indeed at the end of Elijah's. So we're sort of taking a bit of a jump back from some of the, the texts that we've been in this week and we're reading Second Kings 2. There's a link, a hyperlinked link to that chapter in the show notes. Neil, if you want to go look at that, you'll <laughs> find it there. Read, it apparently is a crime. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't that good coincidence that we've got a lane for all the characters that begin with a yell? Oh, yes, that's right. Oh, that's, that's Elijah, that. Elijah and Elaine. There you go. Well, anyway, thank you very much for listening. And uh, thanks to Neil and to Elaine um, when she was here. And we look forward to chatting to you again soon. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org.